Welcome to Different From The Other Kids, a weekly talk show for parents with challenging children with host Angela Sunis, a parent whose teen was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Each episode, Angela will have a discussion with an individual or professional within the mental health community. Different From The Other Kids, Season 1, a production of Marketing Maven. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Different From The Other Kids. This week, I'd like to welcome Christina. So welcome, Christina. She is my daughter. And why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, Chrissy? Okay, I'm 20 years old. I am a certified personal trainer. I graduated from Sheridan about a year ago. I was working at Good Life for about eight months and then left just because I didn't like the environment. Currently employed working for working for a boating company, uh, cleaning boats, detailing them, so polishing, waxing, painting. It's a lot of fun. I love being outside and it's a really physical job, which keeps me uh, really level and um, I enjoy being outside. So it's it's working out really well. I live at home with my sister, my brother, my mom and her partner, Melinda. Um, it's awesome living at home still. love my family. I'm really close with all of them. Uh, we have a cute little dog named Scrapper who we hang out with all the time. That's it. Okay. <laughs> well, I've got uh, a little bit of an intro here for Christina, myself, um, that I think it's important that everybody knows a little bit of who she is. I think she's very, very kind. She's very sweet. She's very smart. Uh, she's very fast. Uh, she's has great enthusiasm, a wonderful sense of humor. And um, one thing that I think it's important for you guys to know is that she wants to be better every day and works very hard every single day to manage her moods and her symptoms. It's really a marathon she runs every day. And I think for the most part, she's able to manage really well. She certainly has gone through different episodes of difficulty, but uh, she gets back in the horse and keeps trying with great heart. And um, she's a wonderful and loving daughter and a, and a wonderful big sister to her two siblings. So there's my little introduction, Chris. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> okay. So let's uh, go back a little bit and we'll talk about uh, your initial diagnosis. Uh, it's a little painful, but um, uh, there's one particular day that we might want to run through as we could call it. It wouldn't be the start of it, but it would be the the biggest change of our lives that happened. And it was one particular day. So take us through that a little bit if you can. Okay. Um, so I remember about a couple of weeks around this day, I was extremely, extremely happy, like just over the moon, I was invincible. I could do anything. My mom was didn't really think anything of it. She seemed thought I was a little too happy, but she had no idea anything of it because she was just happy that I hadn't been. I wasn't depressed anymore, and I was getting into bed, and I was running around doing things with friends, and uh, she didn't really think anything of it. So it ended up that one day there was a trigger. I was being a little promiscuous around this time, um, and my mom kind of found out. So. She took my car away and was just uh, really concerned. Um, so I was really mad at her. I had a complete freak out, extremely pissed off. And uh, I decided to take the bottle of Prozac that I had been taking uh, as an antidepressant, put it in my bag and walked back to school right before I went to school. I took the whole bottle of pills, which is, I think there was like 10 or 11 in there. And okay, Sorry, why did why did you take them like... I think that's important. Is yeah. to you, you said you were pissed off, but 
why? It was just, it was an impulse reaction of, I just can't do this. Like, it's just too much. It was like, it wasn't even that I wanted to die. It was just like an instinct reaction of, I can't feel this right now. I can't feel this. I I will do anything I can to not feel this. I remember you saying you wanted it to stop. You wanted it to stop. And And I I don't know what that it is. It's Mm -hmm. just the overwhelming emotional stress and feelings that had come over me was I just wanted it to stop. I've I've felt that since that happened and I can't really explain it in a better way than that of it just feels like you literally can't handle the emotions that you're feeling at that second. And the only way to do it is to end your life. And so I took the whole bottle. I walked to school and uh, I had two friends there who I called before I left the house, uh, just in tears, so upset saying my mom, this, my mom, that, And uh, so they met me at the school and they were like, what's wrong with you? Like, you look so weird. And I couldn't really walk properly. I just felt really, really uncomfortable. So they were like, what's going on? What's going on? I told them, I was like, I just took a whole bottle of pills. And they were like, wait, what? Um, So then after that, they brought me, we walked through the halls for a little bit and the teacher passed by. They were like holding me up and the teacher just asked, is everything okay? And um, Robin, my friend Robin went up to the teacher and just said, she just took a bunch of pills and the the teacher had brought me down to the guidance office. I remember seeing all the guidance counselors and then them sitting at a table with me and one of the guidance counselors asking me what happened and why I did this. And I didn't really have an answer for her. I was kind of still in shock and didn't really know what was going on. I think I was just so, just in such shock. You were probably on drugs too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. For sure. So, um... So then they called the ambulance. The ambulance did come. They uh, were really nice to me and just kind of kept asking questions and how it was going. And then I was escorted by two police officers to the hospital. At this point, no one could get in touch with anybody in my family. They could get in touch with my sister who went to the same school that I did at the time. She was in grade nine. I was in grade 11. Grade 11, yeah. Mm -hmm. And... uh, so they got in touch with her to try to get in touch with my mom and get in touch with my dad. My dad was out of the country and my mom wasn't picking up. So they ended up having to call my poor grandmother who ended up meeting me at the hospital as they still couldn't get in touch with my mom. And the two police officers stayed with me for hours on hours while I waited to see an actual, to see the psych, psych, psychiatric nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have to get my stomach pumped or anything. They gave me some of that charcoal um, just to try to coat my stomach and, just monitored me to see if what happened. I was really lucky that it didn't, I didn't take more of it or that it would cause anything life threatening. Um, after that, um, my mom finally came in and she was furious. She was like, I've never seen her so angry at me in my entire life. And I was just bawling my eyes out thinking, why is she so mad at me? Shouldn't she care more? Like what's going on? And now I know it was just because she was so worried, but, um, at the time it just didn't really help (laughs) that she was so pissed after that I it's hard to remember it was so long ago they took me in to see the psychiatric nurse who was so sweet she was so nice and she kept she just asked me a bunch of questions of did you intentionally want to hurt yourself and at this point like I knew now I know that I was in a complete episode of mania and I was really a good liar when I was in mania when I am in mania like amazing liar so I told her everything she wanted to hear and so she was confident enough that I could go home and my mom begged her to make me stay begged her to keep me there because she had no idea what the hell to do with me 
So I thought I was going home and then all of a sudden she comes in. She's like, we're putting you on a 72 hour hold. And I was like, what does that mean? I have to stay here. And that's exactly what it means is that for 72 hours, you legally have to stay there. So they brought me down to uh, the psychiatric, the children's psychiatric. I, I was still under 18 at this point. And I remember sitting with the crisis nurse that was there and my mom. And I'm trying to think, did you remember who else was there? It was just them two, right? Yeah. I think it was just them two. Asking me questions and just kind of getting me admitted. Um, I was an absolute disaster. Staying there was the worst three weeks of my entire life. But also the best three weeks of my entire life. I'll fast forward a little bit. That's kind of the night and it was a complete mess. And they had to give me a couple out of and stuff to calm me down in order to sleep. But... Um, I ended up getting a roommate who was absolutely insane. <laughs> she was really hard to deal with because she'd have outbursts and stuff where I just tried to keep to myself. And at this point, it was the weekend, so I couldn't see the doctor until a couple days from when I was admitted. Or maybe it was two days. I think it was two days. You don't remember It's a lot. hard. Yeah, I, don't I don't remember a lot. I wish I remembered Yeah, more. so I, it was a couple days anyway, I know, before I got on any medication. But I did see him as soon I think it was a Saturday, Sunday, and then I saw him right away on the Monday. And, uh, he started trying to put me on some medication. I do not remember which ones they were. I do remember one was lithium and I did not agree with me whatsoever. But at this point I was still manic. Um, and whenever I had my counseling sessions with the counselors that were there, um, one of them actually came into the room one day and just says, okay, cut the bullshit. He goes, you're telling me everything I want to hear right now. He's like, what's going on? He said, you know, there's something wrong. Why aren't you talking about it? And at that point, that's when I kind of realized maybe there is something wrong. Maybe I am just too happy. And I had been on the medication, one medication, which was Seroquel, uh, for probably a couple of days. This was when he came into my room and uh, I was a little, wasn't as manic. And I kind of went and go, went to myself. Yeah, there is something wrong. Like not a normal person decides to take a whole bottle of pills when they're angry. So after that, I was there. Yeah, I'm guessing about two, three weeks. The better part of three. Better part of three. Um we kind of did a bunch of group therapy and had a rigid schedule. I got a lot of support from my school with my teachers helping me with my assignments and kind of pushing us, putting the assignments together so I could make sure that I got all my credits. And uh, the teachers there were awesome. Everyone was awesome. There were a lot of incidences, though, uh, at nighttime when a couple kids would uh, have freakouts and have to be restrained and security and the whole floor would go on lockdown. And some of the scariest nights of my life. Um, but being locked up in there, oh my God, it was awful, awful. Just trying to fall asleep at night. It's scary. It's so scary. And just not being having to be able to communicate with the outside world was awful. I remember my mom coming to visit me and it was just like the highlight of my day. And I was still so angry at her for so long. Um, and I don't even know why, but we've gone past that. So that's good. Then after that, uh, Dr. Brown was my doctor at uh, Oakville Trafalgar Hospital, and he had diagnosed me um, as bipolar. He started me on Seroquel. I don't remember the milligrams of it, but he did try. This was after we tried, I think, one or two, and uh, it seemed to start working. So I started feeling less high and a little bit more like myself. I did miss the high. The high is awesome, but <laughs> I know the high is absolutely awful, and there is a crash that comes with it. And there's consequences. And there's consequences. Oh, there's mm-hmm. lots of consequences. Mm-hmm. So 
After that, I was released after the three weeks. I don't remember a lot. I, I think I was in was so much trauma. Um, I'm surprised I remember as much as I just told you that. Like, I probably could go a lot more detail, but I don't remember. After that, I got discharged to a psychiatrist out of, uh, where was it? Oh, somewhere in Oakville. Yeah, there's an outpatient uh, psychiatric clinic that there was a, a doctor there that she was referred to for... Uh, just for the pharmaceutical part of it. She did do a slight bit, I guess, of um, counseling, but not very much. It was more for uh, medication. And uh, on that note, I um, I had been seeing a counselor already for probably five, four or five years prior to this when my parents divorced. Um, I took that really, really hard, and so I had been seeing her anyway. So right after this happened, I started seeing her regularly, like weekly, I've now been seeing her for eight years. She's absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. So that really helps. So I got right on of everything and like coming out of the hospital, they got me to write like all the goals that I wanted in life and all the things I wanted to achieve and where I wanted to be in 10 years, where I wanted to be in five years, what I wanted to do with my life. And so I really started thinking about that. And um, I don't remember a good chunk up until I went to school. Um, I knew I was... I ended up dating someone uh, for about two years, and he was a great guy. It was really pretty level and kind of kept me, there was no up and downs, really. He was pretty stable. Um, and I know that's exactly what I need from a partner is stability. There can't be any ups and downs and craziness going on. It has to be completely stable. I don't remember a lot of that. I think that was also a huge part of I was going through a lot of med like a lot of drugs at the time of trying to figure out <laughs> exactly what was going to work. Yeah, not, not street drugs. Yeah, not street <laughs> drugs. I shouldn't say that. A lot of uh, antipsychotic drugs. Um, so yeah, so I was still testing out like a cocktail of medications that were going to work for me and keep me level. And then after that, I knew we were at level for about eighteen months. I'm going to say during mm -hmm. just it took about six months. Would you say? To yeah. get level six months, six months or so, and then, um, and then you stayed um, level. Yeah, it was a good eighteen months till the next one came around. What was that one? The, oh no, the next episode. What was what was the next episode? Oh, just recently, probably. In that the was last, yeah, okay. just since. Uh, well, it started, I guess, about a year ago with the other boyfriend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay, well, I guess I can kind of jump in a little bit here. Just to tell you from, that's Christina's perspective, then there's my perspective, which isn't that far off it, other than that it's from the mother's perspective as opposed to uh, Chris's. Uh, yeah, her behavior over that particular Christmas was really, it was got to the point of being odd. Now, she had gone through long periods of time for quite a few years, actually, where she would be quite depressed. I remember a summer, probably three summers before that, something like that. I could not... For the life of me, get her out of bed. It was a challenge to get her to shower, to do anything. Um, I thought it was depression. And we thought, yeah, we thought she was actually dealing with depression, which of course she was, but we didn't realize that there was another element to it. So during that particular Christmas, what was different was that she was flipping a little bit back and forth from the summer. She seemed to get really kind of weirdly happy, but then it wouldn't last for very long. And then she'd, she'd crash again. So what she's always dealt with more than the mania is always the depression. So I just thought, oh, that's good. She's actually bouncing out of the depression pretty well. And then she'd crash again. So that's why we were dealing with the antidepressants at that time, that everyone seemed to think that it was more depression than anything else and that that's, that's what we were medicating. 
what I know now is that when you are on an antidepressant and you are bipolar, you can actually trigger an episode, a completely manic episode. It's a, if they are misdiagnosed and they end up ingesting that, I don't know what the medical part of all of that is, but it triggers the brain chemicals in the opposite direction. So during that period of time, she ended up losing the depression entirely. I'm going to say it was probably three weeks worth of bit of wildness and completely unlike her. She's always, uh, when she's level, when she's stable, she's always enthusiastic. She's usually quite happy. She's easy to get along with and all that kind of stuff. But what she started with the three weeks before was just a little bit of her speech was too quick. Um, she ran around a bit too much. She had gotten a car in the fall and was in and out of the house, in and out of the house, in and out of the house. And this kind of escalated for that three week period that led us up into the day that uh, she was at school and the ambulance had to be called. It had gotten to the point within the last probably five days before the day of hospitalization that I was very worried. It seemed that she was going off in a bunch of different directions, was not able to quite kind of even finish a thought, never mind finish a task. And she'd be in the middle of something and get up and all of a sudden she'd have to go out in the car and then she'd come back and there'd be this blast of energy and then she wouldn't finish what it is, even that she would sing, and she'd go out. There's a strange look on her face, I would have to say, that I look for now, and a different look in her eye that... Um, crazy eyes. <laughs> yeah, a bit of crazy eyes that um, I know now to look for as uh, as well as some of those Can other I symptoms. Ask you now too? Sorry? I ask you now, too. I ask her now, too, um, yeah. if I do feel a little too high. I'm like, is that crazy? Do I have crazy eyes right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... You get to the point where you start to, there is a bit of a patterning and trying to figure out whether there's actually a manic episode happening. The other episode, of course, the other part of uh, bipolar, of course, is depression. That's not hard to spot. That's, you know, um, there goes in varying degrees, of course, but, you know, can't get out of bed, can't, everything is too exhausting. Doing the most mundane tasks, uh, like getting up in the morning and showering, just feels overwhelming for the person uh, they're very low. Everything feels like a personal affront usually, uh, and it feels everything feels devastating. They uh, can read a lot into what it is that you're saying to the negative extreme of things that is constantly seemingly directed at them when it's certainly not intended. So that particular day, um, those days leading up, the four, four days were concerning me. That particular day, I <clears throat> had gotten to a point where I was worried enough about her and the erraticness of her behavior that I looked at her and I said, I am so sorry. This was first thing in the morning. I said, I am so sorry, Christina, until I figure out what's going on with you and where your head's at. I need to take these car keys from you. I said, I'm going to keep them. I said, if you need to drive somewhere, let me know. But whatever it is that you're going through right now is worrying me. I'm afraid to have you behind the wheel. I knew that she was upset when she left, but I had no idea to the extent that this was going to be any kind of a problem. So she went to school and I was exhausted. I had been dealing with her and trying to deal with what was happening with her. I was mystified. And when it is that you're dealing with too much of this stuff and there are incidents that are happening and very strange behavior as a parent, you tend to get very tired. I will tell you, it gets exhausting trying to deal with this person, trying to ground them, trying to keep them safe, trying to see if they're eating, trying to see 
if, you know, what it is that they're saying. They seem to have all these little side conversations going on at different times. Just very, you know, you, it seems there's so much of that they don't seem to be telling the truth, even though this person that you know and love is a truth teller by nature, that they're not liars, That, but there's all this stuff going on that is really making you question what's happening. So I was exhausted. And the phone, I remember the phone ringing a few times and I had laid down after she left for school because I was, I was very upset. And I can't remember how many calls there were. There may have been four. And then it was on the fifth one that I picked up. I was trying actually to nod off to sleep, wasn't able to. Picked up, it was probably the fifth call and it was, uh, that was terrible. That was the school uh, calling, it was the principal. Uh, to say that Christina had been taken by ambulance and that um, she had taken uh, a bottle of pills and that I needed to meet her at the hospital. So I called her therapist at the time and I think that was it. And then I jumped in. Oh, then my mom had called me as I was getting into the car saying that she was leaving to go to the hospital that they had called her. And I said, okay, thank you. She ended up getting there before me. And what I walked into was Christina on a stretcher. You could tell she had been crying. And there were two officers there that were not allowed to leave her until she was seen by the psychiatric nurse and um, my mom sitting at the bottom of her bed in the hallway. And I was absolutely devastated. (laughs) There is no way to fully describe what that feels like for a parent. And I can tell by Christina's face right now that there is no way to describe what that look on her mother's face was. And I just didn't, wasn't able to properly process it. So what I, what I had as whatever my go-to feeling was at the time was, uh, yeah, I was angry and I couldn't talk. I barely could look at her. I was so upset and she just kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I looked at her and I said, what would possess you? What in the world would ever possess you to do this? And she just shook her head. She just shook her head and she said, I just wanted to make it stop. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. I think I do now, which is that she wanted the thoughts that were racing through her head, the things that were happening around her, the things that she was making happen or uh, being privy to, the things that weren't her that she was being compelled to say or do or just she she wasn't comfortable in her own skin and she's trying to make it stop so no I didn't react very well I'm sorry about that Chrissy that's okay I really didn't but yeah well it was it was a couple hours probably I sat there with my mom nobody said a thing my mom and I looked at one another oh yeah Mom and I looked at one another and my the look of shattered on my mother too was was part of I guess why it was so difficult. Um, but eventually we were seen by the psychiatric nurse who was exceptional at Oakville Trafalgar. I need to find her name so that we can give her a shout out. And she was talking to Christina and basically, you know, we're in an interview together in one of their isolation rooms, one of the crazy rooms with the glass. Actually, I don't know if they have glass anymore. No, I think they was, had it was, four walls. It was door. four walls and a steel door. Um, and she was amazing. She asked um, a lot of different questions about how Christina had been feeling, what led her to this. And she kind of looked at me and she said, well, she doesn't seem like she wants to take her life right now. 
And I looked at her and I, and she said, there is something called a three day psychiatric hold, uh, that I'm just not sure we're really ready for at this point. And I looked at this lady and I said, you have got to help me. I am a mother. I'm the only parent in the house. I have no idea. I not, I do not have a hot clue of how to deal with this kid right now. I said, her behavior is so out of the realm of what is ordinary for her. I said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid she's going to do something further. I'm afraid she's going to do something um, more severe than what it is that she's done. I am lost. I have no idea what to do. I am begging you to please keep her. I need to figure out what is going on with her and she needs uh, to be in a safe place because I can't make her safe. And I think I said that a few times. I said, I just can't make her safe. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. So the psychiatric nurse looked at me and right away nodded her head. And there was a three-day psychiatric hold. And going in, uh, taking Christina into that unit was very difficult as well because uh, there's a lot of security. There are young people there. I can't remember how many beds are there. Christina, I think there might be enough for 10 kids there. Um, the staff was exceptional, uh, but they were very strict. Uh, when we went in uh, to say goodnight to her, they were going through her personal belongings, of which uh, I had to take back with me. Things like uh, that, you know, just wouldn't happen under a, a regular time All to go into the hospital, like taking the again. taking the taking the uh, shoestrings out of her shoes and yeah. and taking anything that was a sharp object, like a pen. Like she couldn't have. She basically had nothing. She had the clothes on her back when she got there, and I was able to bring in not a pillow, blanket. I think a blanket, and what else. Is a blanket, Slippers. I think, and that was and that and pajamas, of which they took the drawstring out of the boxers, which was delightful. Um, <laughs> but, and uh, I think we're we're gonna pretty much uh, wrap it up uh, for now, as that is coming towards the end of our time. But I will tell you that as much as for many people listening, that might be a terrible story. <laughs> Christina and I both believe at this point that. It absolutely saved her life. I believe it to be one of the greatest things that ever happened to us. She was able to get treatment right away, diagnosis right away, the proper uh, drug treatment right away, and some coping skills. Uh, they didn't just keep her for the three days. Uh, once the psychiatrist saw her and thought he had a, a diagnosis, uh, he asked uh, if he would be able to keep her further. She agreed which was fantastic and amazingly grown up of her, especially for during that time because she was still quite manic. And it was absolutely the greatest thing that ever, I can't say it enough, the greatest thing that ever happened to us was uh, was her staying in that facility and getting some of the tools that she was going to need to go forward with. I guess I, guess I just wanted to um, wrap it up for this episode, which is our introduction, which is your introduction to Christina, who is... Uh, an exceptional young person uh, and very, very brave, as you can tell by her um, uh, her ability to absolutely be completely raw in telling you her story. And I'm sure will be completely raw going forward. That's just the courage of, of, of the person that we're talking about here. But she, uh, she wrote a quote. She doesn't know I'm doing this. She wrote a quote uh, on Facebook a couple months ago that I thought was um, very, very much, spoke very much to who she is. And I, I just wanted to share it with you now. Should I read it? Yeah, you want it? That'd be great. It's on my favorite quote. Yeah, is that still? 
this quote, I think I found it on Instagram or something actually. Um, it says, I am in, co in competition with no one. I run my own race. I have no desire to play the game of being better than anyone in any way, shape, or form. I just aim to improve to be better than I was before. That's awesome, Chrissy. Thanks so much. And thank you very much for being here today. And parents, I'm hoping that that was a bit enlightening, or perhaps it makes you feel less alone. Perhaps it gives you some kind of hope. That's the aim, is to give you something to hold on to for some of those some of those days that are a little more difficult. Do us a favor, if you can, write a review in iTunes. The more reviews a podcast gets, the better it's ranking in iTunes. It's totally free, and it helps new listeners find the show. And I'm hoping that this is going to be... Um, a great comfort and some hope and some healing for those parents out there that are suffering in silence. And we'll wrap it up for now. And thanks very much. Don't forget to follow Different From The Other Kids on Facebook and Twitter. Check out the book on Amazon and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Different From The Other Kids, made possible with the support of Burlington Fitness and Racket Club. Why go to a gym when you can be part of a club? You can find them online at www.burlingtonfitness.ca. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And now a disclaimer. In general, I, Angela Sunis, am not a doctor, and I certainly don't play one on the internet. I am not even that well educated. I'm a parent, period. The advice from me presented on Different from the Other Kids does not replace advice received directly from a medical health professional. If you think you need help, I do recommend making an appointment with your physician or other appropriate health care provider. Different from the Other Kids, Season 1, a production of Marketing Maven.